Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Horse Hour podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson. Now we're just about to meet a real life superhero. His name's Justin Nelson, and he's been hailed a hero because of his selfless actions over the weekend. Now, not everybody would jump into a violent river to save some drowning horses, but that's exactly what Justin did. This is Horse Hour. Justin, how are you? I'm good. You're all bright and breezy. <laughs> actually, I'm exhausted. <laughs> oh, I'm not surprised. So, um, I'm actually in the company of a hero. Oh, no, <laughs> definitely not that. <laughs> it's so exciting. What you did was absolutely incredible. Let's just, for people that have no idea yet, because this has only just broken the internet today over here in the UK. So a video's gone viral of a, a, a news station over in Texas, in Houston, which is where you're from, um, right. because you've had horrific floods over there. Right. And a horse was stranded, and a lovely, very handsome man came along, jumped in, and saved it. That was you! It was, yeah. We um, we knew there was a big storm coming, and um, the area where there, there it was actually 86 horses on one farm, that that they had to basically evacuate immediately and part of the problem was all the rain that we had uh which isn't really uncommon especially for that farm they pretty regularly get flooded but um Hmm. the the second problem was they opened up the floodgates in the middle of the night and didn't tell anybody and they opened it a hundred percent so literally i mean it was a wall of water from what i hear that came through and I mean, she was normally she's able to get some trucks out and start moving the horses out. And usually, a couple get—I don't want to say left behind, but you know, there's always a little bit of a rescue effort going on over there. Um, but this one completely caught them off guard because they opened up the floodgates. And um, so I just happened to be scrolling on Facebook and saw that they were having some issues over there. And I kind of looked at my daughter and said, "Hey, why don't we why don't we go over there and check them out?" And drove over, and when we got there, um, the the water was extremely high, and um, everyone's just standing on the side of the road. And I look out, and there's a horse uh, stuck on. Well, it's in the water. Clearly, it's stuck on something. I don't know what it's stuck in. And uh, but everyone's just standing there. So I, I throw off my shirt. Keep. <laughs> thankfully, I had shorts on. And ran out there, and there was a guy just standing there with a life vest. I was like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "What do you mean?" I'm like we'll go do something. And he's like, I'm not getting in there. 
So I grabbed the life vest and, and jump in the water and swim out. And the biggest issue with a lot of these horses were just the fact that there was a lot of gates and cross fencing mm-hmm. and the water so high that all the horses oh, – I shouldn't say all. A lot of the horses were getting caught on the fencing and then just getting them out, you had to go over fences that you couldn't see. Oh, my God. Um, so – and, of course, the water is moving so fast and these are, you know, 1,000 to 1,200-pound uh, horses. So it, the current was pushing them up against, you know, either logs or trees or fences and just because of their sheer, their their size, they you know they're not smart enough to reach over or or, or do anything about it. No, but so were they getting caught? Exactly, and moving them was of course a big deal because you know it's it, obviously you can't tell them what. Hey, can you just help me out and lift your arm up just a little bit, please? <laughs> so yeah, um, so what turned started off as one horse uh, brought that one in, and it kind of snowballed from there, and and they're like. Hey, there's another one over here. So I'd run off and do another one, and then. Um, oh wow! So you didn't got... just do the one because we've just seen the footage of you saving the gray. Oh no! Um, I think when I got done, someone told me that I saved around fifteen, oh, and then Justin. and then there was another ten to fourteen in the barn still, which the barn was actually a little bit higher, so they weren't swimming in the barn. It was up to about their bellies, mm-hmm. but getting them out there was. Um, there was a vicious current that we had to get them through. So I coordinated uh, with some boats to come in and we, we had to drag them out through the, the fast water as, but we put, there was two other ladies that were helping me, Devin Horn. And I don't remember, I don't know the other lady, but the three of us were jumping on the horse's backs as they were dragging them through. And then once they get them through that area, then we would ride them out. And, and then of course there's at that point, there's, Tons of people up on the shoreline, so it wasn't just me. There was there was a lot of people there helping. Just in the beginning, it was me because nobody was really sure what to do or so on and so forth. And I was like, "Get your asses in the water, let's go. We have to help these horses." You took the initiative. You were the first one that actually said, "You know what? We've got to do something." Because so many people stand by and actually watch what happens. And go, "Oh, isn't that bad? Isn't that bad?" But no, nobody actually does it themselves, and you did that. <laughs> Over here, they would have been going crazy on health and safety. They'd be like, you're not wearing a hat. You are not. You don't have the right safety equipment. What I love is that you just did it and you saved so many horses. Well, we did get in a little bit of trouble because uh, there, there, the, um, the fire department was there and uh, there, there was police officers there. And when I first jumped in, they, they didn't know about it because nobody was in the water. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, was, but as soon as I got out, one of the officers came up to me and he's like, you can't go in there again. And I'm like, what do you mean I can't go in there again? And they're like, if you go in there again, we'll arrest you. I'm like, that's nonsense. Um, which I get it from their side of it because they don't want, they don't want people in the water who don't know what they're doing. They don't want a rescue situation of people. Granted, you know, for us horse lovers, we can't imagine not going in there and, and saving the horses. Thankfully, so let me back up. There was a bit of a heated debate for about 15, 20 minutes mm-hmm. on whether or not I could get back in. Thankfully, there was a judge there and um, who was actually helping in because they did have some boats in there that were they were trying to use, but the boats couldn't get to a lot of the spots. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like they were doing nothing, but they just couldn't get to a lot of these horses because of where they were located. And that's where 
the you know if you were a strong swimmer and knew something about horses that's where we really kind of helped out but thankfully the judge was there and I got to talking with him and just told him a little bit about myself and then he was like you know what you're fine just go and that's if you've seen the picture of me rappelling off the bridge and swimming out and pulling that one horse over that's actually the moment when the judge said okay you can go but you're the only one and then eventually a couple other really strong swimmers showed up and then they helped me out tremendously uh and we were able to just pull as many out as we could it's incredible what was your daughter thinking at that point she must be so proud <laughs> no <laughs> she likes to make fun of me <laughs> yeah no she i'm sure she was very proud but we we have a, a great relationship and we like to make fun of each other so no the, the all day long she made fun of me she's like you really need to work on that tan dad you're you really got a really bad farmer's tan going on or, or, or something to that extent so but she was actually on the shore being one of the people that wants the horse because she's she knew that there's no way she could get in the water but she's grew up with horses so obviously she was one of the people on shore as soon as i'd bring them out Mm. a lot of times we'd hand them to her or any of the other people there were a lot of people on shore willing to help and uh so she did take part in the rescue effort and and yeah helped bring the horses up and did her part we see quite often floods over here that happen that i know they're a hundred times worse where you are but you have to make a, a, a like a pathway i guess to take the horses through safely but it looked from the footage like there was no pathway available so did you have people like going under the water did you have some clippers with you to cut the fences because how the hell did you get them over the fence Actually, I did that. Um, yeah, there is uh, a couple of difference. Now, a few of the spots you just we really couldn't you couldn't do it. It was just kind of impossible, depending on the type of fence it was. Hmm. Um, but there were several areas where, on the actual farm itself, there was no barbed wire. But you know, once you got off in the stream or across the stream, so on and so forth, there was barbed wire. So a lot of people were were cutting down fence. But there was there was a few areas. One very specifically where we were dragging the horses out of the barn where the boat actually took me out because there was a fence that we knew was in the way and dropped me off and I just held onto the fence, went under the water, cut it, and then worked my way down and opened two gates. That way what I wanted to happen is in, when we took off with the boat, we knew obviously the, the water was rushing so fast that we'd get swept downstream. And I wanted a couple different points of entry so that if we hit those points, the horses wouldn't get caught up in the fence mm. um but if it wasn't for the boats and the and the guys in the boats at that time the horses in the barn i don't know if they would have made it because that honestly it was rushing we did try to swim them across that stream after i cut the the fence and i mean it just it immediately took the horses downstream they just they're just weren't strong enough to fight that current so um, that's when i was like you know what? let's get a boat over here we're just going to halters on them, and we just dragged them across that area. And then once we came out through that area, then then it was easy. They were fine, but it was just getting them past that, that rush of, of water that was really causing the issue for the hole. Were you scared, Justin? No. Um, only because, You know, it's one of those things you really don't have time. Um, and um, I served in the military, been to Afghanistan. So, I mean, high-pressure situations isn't really – uh, something new. Uh, I also compete at a professional level. Uh, I won the Mongol Derby back in 2010. And I've done a, a lot of other high-level sports. So that being the case, I, I think it's like anything else. You just you're so focused on 
what you have to do that you really don't have time to think, wow, what I'm doing is really intense and really scary. Uh, it wasn't until we actually got home and um, because I got done and you know, I still had to go home and feed my horses <laughs> and do the things around the house. So I got home and parked the truck and it was I think that's when it finally hit me and I was like, Holy cow, we really we really did something good today. And I sent my kids to go feed the horses because I was exhausted and then we went out and celebrated, had fajitas and margaritas and, and then went to bed early. And uh <laughs> But yeah, it's just it's just one of those things that you really don't have time to think about it. You just either you do it or you don't. And if you're going to do it, you don't think about how dangerous it is. You just get the job done. Well, it's incredible what you did. And the lady that owns the land must be eternally grateful to you. I mean, bless her heart. She she was in such a state, wasn't she, with the the fact that they were flooded so badly, and she thought she was going to lose everything. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure she's. I mean. All of her trailers are still in there, all of her trucks. I mean, for them, the flood's not, like I said, not a big deal. It happens once or twice a year, but not to this magnitude. They've never been able to not get majority of the horses out and all the equipment and so on and so forth. So, yeah, this this storm really hurt her. And my, you know, my heart does go out to her for that because it's. Um, I'm sure she lost everything in this. So, yeah, it, it it's a sad deal. Were you okay in the storm? Nothing affected you guys? Um, no, I actually where I'm at, we're we're high ground. So I mean, other than really wet pastures, um, no, we were we were completely fine. I live about ten to fifteen minutes from her place, but she's right on the river. Uh, I'm not far from it because I train on the same trails. But like I said, where I'm at, I'm just we're high ground here. You're so chilled out and cool about it all, aren't you? <laughs> It must be down to the fact that you won the Mongol Derby. I mean, for goodness sake, that's the biggest endurance race in the whole world. Well, how did you uh, did you always decide that you wanted to do that? Um, no. Well, it's I did it. uh, I won it back in two thousand and ten, and in the first year that they had it was two thousand nine, and I'd actually planned on trying to get into it that year, but uh, I was late on my entry, and it just so I put it on my calendar, and the way I found out about it is a client of mine said, hey, this looks like something that's right up your alley, because apparently everyone knows that I'm, I have a screw loose, and I like to do crazy <laughs> things like this. So um, I put it on the calendar, and um, it just so happens I was actually racing in Dubai when the, when the uh, registration came open in, was it 2009, for the 2010 race. And uh, so I put in my entry and told them a little bit about myself, and they accepted me. Year later, I went and and won it, and uh, yeah. And since then, I've actually trained several individuals who have won it. Last year, I trained uh, Byrony from South Africa. Mm-hmm. She came and trained with me for two months, and she won it last year. And then the year before, Devin Horn, who crossed the finish line first, but ended up taking a penalty and finishing second. So, um, and this year, I've, I've had a couple of people come out and train. So yeah, it's the Mongol Derby is one of those things that you just you never forget. It was probably one of the greatest adventures that I'd ever had. And so if I can help other people really enjoy it and, and experience it, um, it's something I definitely like to do. So is it true then that as you go through the, the Derby, the Mongolians are there set up camp and they give you food and drink and support you through it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, matter of fact, you pretty much survive off the hospitality of the, uh, the nomadic people there. Um, so what happens is you ride from checkpoint to checkpoint to set up like a Pony Express. So every horse goes approximately 40 kilometers. And at that horse station, um, it's no one that works for the organization. It's true nomadic people that they've, they do pay them to, to help us, but 
the hospitality is set up all by them and and it's really interesting because you know all the families are they're the same but very different uh they're the type of people that would absolutely give you the shirt off their back if they had to i mean just so generous and nice have very little but are so willing to help us and and feed us and do all these you know all all the stuff that they help us doing and even if even if you don't make it to a checkpoint mm-hmm. um just because of the way the mongolian culture is we can ride from well the year I did it. We rode from six in the morning till eight at night. Well, at eight at night you have to stop, and we have a tracking device on us that lets them know that we stopped. Well, if you don't make it to a checkpoint, you can literally find a family out in the middle of nowhere. It'd be like you driving around town and knocking on someone's door and going, "Hey, I was in the neighborhood. Uh, do you mind if I crash here tonight?" and and not speak their language, so they're probably not going to understand you anyway. And them go. <laughs> Come on in, you know. Here, here's some food. Here's a bed. What do you need? And that's and that's the way the Mongolian people are, which is why I I love them. They're it, it was they're fantastic, amazing people, and uh, they really um, that race is um, it's it's quite extraordinary. It's so lovely. It just looks it looks like a really really tough hard race, um, but the, the Mongolians always look so friendly. They look really welcoming. So I'm glad that was your experience of what you had. I'm also glad that they put a tracker on you, because one thing that <laughs> scared me the most was I was like, what if I get lost? Like not that I would be brave enough to do it anyway, but I think being in the middle of nowhere, I'd probably have a panic attack. But the fact that you've got a GPS on you, it means that you're safe all the time. And also, it's one of the main sports that they make sure the horses. Are really safe and and their well-being is is part of the race absolutely yeah they uh they have three-star level fei vets so you know vets that are used to high level competition and very qualified and uh they have to they look over every single horse that gets put on the line and uh and make sure that you know and everyone how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One is doing it safe because that's the other big thing. Time in this race is everything. Because uh, in order to get from point A to point B, you need X amount of time. Well, the punishment for not taking care of your horse is they dock you time. In other words, they may say, you know what, I see a little girth rub here. We're going to dock you an hour. So you get to a certain horse station and you have to wait there an extra hour, which obviously is, you know, could take you from first to fifth, depending mm. on where you're at in the race and so on and so forth. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's a huge emphasis on taking care of these horses. And if you don't, then they will absolutely, you know, hammer you for it, uh, depending on, you know, how, how bad it is. And I, and I never saw anything bad. You know, usually the worst I, I ever personally really saw was a girth rub. Uh, so it wasn't like, you know, people were running them in the ground and so on and so forth. And these horses are extremely hardy. Um, the, the closest thing that I'd ever seen to them would be here in the States, uh, the Mustangs. Um, mm-hmm. I would say it's almost like a Mustang Arab cross in, in that they're just the, the very hardy horses. But I, I was actually really surprised at, at how well they were covering the ground and moving and so on and so forth, which the Arabs are what we use in endurance racing. So I was, I was really very impressed with the breed of horse. See, the Arabs, when I look at the endurance racing, I always thought they've got such fine legs that how would they – I amateur here would expect like a welsh section d cob or something like that you know that's a little bit stocky and has thicker legs but the arabs have such fine legs well what you're used to probably seeing are the show arabs and this is something i get into with people all the time because there is a huge difference between the the fancy show arabs with a nice big dish and the fine legs and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. versus Arabs that you, if you were to go to maybe the racetrack or definitely an endurance race um, and compare those to what you'd see in the show ring, they're almost two completely different horses. And it, you see it in every breed. You, quarter horses, your, your halter horses, they're huge, they're muscled up, they've got itty bitty feet. I mean, they look nothing like your working horse. So it, that's something we've seen through breeding within the Arab culture is that either the horses are made to look pretty or they're made to be extremely fit and they're basically they're athletes. So the ones that you're probably used to seeing are the pretty ones. <laughs> the posh ones. <laughs> that wouldn't would only last ten minutes and that would be it. <laughs> oh, I'm an error. <laughs> so so go back take me back to the beginning of the race then. Don't you start is this is it true? I don't know. I'm going on myths because I know nothing about endurance. Um, okay. you, there's a team of you? And you start with say uh, can be up to four riders. Is that right? No, I know no. you. I know you ride individually, but don't you ride for your country? Oh well, yes, you ride for our country. Um, there was there's usually nowadays. I think there's usually around thirty five to forty competitors, and they select them from all over the world. And you ride basically your your first horse is drawn on a lottery system. So they have a bunch of horses out there with numbers on them. You go pick your a number out of a hat, whatever number you draw, that's the horse you get. Mm-hmm. And the day that the race starts, they say on your mark, get set, go. Everyone starts at the same time. It's a group start, and you take off, and it's set up uh, first come, first serve. So if you're the first one to the next horse station, you'll have the choice of, we'll say, 40 horses. If you're the last one, you might have a choice of five, that kind of thing. So it kind of pays to be 
up front, especially early on. But um, everyone does ride for their country. However, you know the the the, the best thing about the Derby is. Yes, I rode for the U.S., but I made such good friends from other countries. Matter of fact, um, one of my very best friends to this day is uh, Saskia Van Heeren, who placed second. She finished with me. We rode the majority of the ride together. Matter of fact, I just went to South Africa in September and and spent two weeks out there and got to visit with her, mm-hmm. and um, and then also Byrony, who I trained. But you know, and you talk to anyone that's done this race, the a lot of us make lifelong friends. Most of them, I'm almost friends with everyone that was there on Facebook. We talk semi-regular, especially around August time when the race is coming up. <laughs> I set up a support group for those of us who've actually done it because, I mean, it's like a crack addict. You just, you're just you jonesing to go. You're like, please, I just want to do it again. But, um, but no, it's it's yes, everyone's rights for the country, but fundamentally, by the end of the race, you're in it for – most of the people around you and it just the adventure itself even even had i not won which i was there to win i mean i'm, I'm a competitive person but you know i look back and i think if i didn't win would i care and i wouldn't have it just because i had such it, it winning isn't what i think about when i think about this race it's the amazing adventure that i went on you know while it happened and that's why it's just I, that's one of the huge reasons why I love this race so much. It's you just such passionate. a fun race. Yeah, yeah. it's great. I love it. Um, well, t- to be honest, it's not just about winning. Um, the winning part is you coming back alive. <laughs> that's right. That's a bonus. Like, no oh. broken bones. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> no, well, he- not having any broken bones is the big one because last year they had a really good turnout where people didn't get hurt. But for the first several years, about 50 50- percent of the the riders were retired because of the horses because they are semi-wild they're not they're not broke and then the horses you pick you don't know anything about them so it would be like you going out to a ranch and them lining up 40 horses and then say okay pick your horse are you insane you mean? And, and some of them are very broke and some of them are not so much so and how do you know which one to pick so it, there's a bit of a process that gets involved in all that that's it makes it fun. It just adds to the flavor of the adventure. How do you know? Because it's not like you can go and do join up for 20 minutes before you get on there. <laughs> right? I whisper in the ear, are you a pretty pony? <laughs> um, no, it's, I, I, for me, I looked for uh, telltale signs that they have actually been ridden. Um, you know, basically bit marks there, you know, maybe saddle marks or girth you know anything that would basically let me know that hey maybe this horse has been ridden before um and honestly you know i i had throughout the course of the race i had three horses that were complete rock stars i had two horses it was probably fortunate i didn't have a gun and then the rest of them just kind of fell in the middle um because they were you know of all shapes and sizes and ability. But for the most part, it was, I, I think there was only two horses that I really wish I had never chosen. Um, Why were they I, so bad? Oh, well, okay. <laughs> Funny story. Um, first day, it was like the second or third checkpoint. I go in and I see this black stallion. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole, you know, growing up, like stallion and so on and so forth, I, I'm like, I want that horse right there. And I was in the lead at the time. And I'm like, I want that horse. And the Mongolian guys are looking at me kind of like, <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I want I want that one. I'm thinking I'm, a, I'm in Mongolia. I'm going to ride a black stallion through the wild. This is going to be amazing. So we get the saddle put on this horse. 
I go to walk off, turn around, horse rears up and paws me right in the chest, knocks me down, takes off. I'm holding on to the reins, so it drags me a little ways. Eventually stops. I get up, and the Mongolians are like, you know, different horse. I'm like, oh, no, you know, my pride <laughs> totally got the best of me. You know, I'm not a smart man. So I was like, no, I've got this. I'm going to ride this horse. So I get on this horse, and we take off, and he's just trucking along. I'm thinking, okay, I made a good decision. And then right as we got over the hill where he couldn't see his herd anymore, hmm. totally quit on me. And Aww. I think I went from first to sixth in that one leg because this guy, he, I could have gotten off and jogged faster, except for which I actually did try. But every time I would get off of him, he would try to escape. So I had no option other than to ride him. And I think we averaged like six or seven kilometers an hour. I mean, it was something absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, that that one was painful. Matter of fact, the, the, the Arabs when I came in, one of the translators told me they were taking bids on whether or not I would even finish the race. Oh no way! But you beat them because you came first. So right. exactly. <laughs> I showed, it was, that that was the only reason I did it. Yeah. <laughs> and do you reckon you do it again? Um, you know, I would love to. Um, my daughter wants to do it. Uh, she's fourteen, and um, so we're gonna wait a few more years. And uh, but she's a, an amazing rider. I've been training her since she was four. She she does endurance. Uh, matter of fact, she helps me break a lot of these horses. She's she's a phenomenal rider, and uh, it's something she's always wanted to do. I just want her to get a little bit get a little bit older, and not really because I need her to be a better rider. She could ride it easily, but physically, I, I'm not sure that she could quite do it yet. So I want to mm-hmm. wait till she's at least you know maybe 16 to 18 somewhere in there, and then then yeah, go have a dad and daughter Mongol Derby experience and mentally as well I I should imagine she needs to be mature enough not that she's not mature now but she needs to be mature enough to handle the isolation and the stress right yeah 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 absolutely because if anything happens to me then she's got to continue on and do it on her own so yeah it uh I she'll do great it's just uh I I think more as a father I'm just like uh, kind of like with she she can't even drive yet I'm not sending you to Mongolia to uh <laughs> go a thousand kilometers I'm sorry you have to wait so and what would her mom say uh I don't think we'll tell her I will just probably <laughs> go on a vacation my mom doesn't even like me going rat riding around the school. <laughs> if I said I'm going to Mongolia, she'd go, don't bloody ridiculous, baby. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, well, it's amazing, Justin. Uh, hearing your journey is fascinating. And you, like you said, you still teach people now. And um, do you take people from all over the world? Or is it just local people that you train? bit of both. The only people that I've ever trained from other countries has been for the Mongol Derby. Uh, but... We we endurance race here locally within the U.S. So, so it's not like we could come over and have a holiday with you, and you could teach us yeah. the say to we could, can we? Yeah, absolutely, why not? Yeah, I'll take anybody. I'm, I, I I warn everyone, I'm going to put you to work, so <laughs> you can call it a holiday. But when you leave, you're going to need a holiday for your holiday because <laughs> um, we 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 work around here. But it's it's all fun. Everyone that comes out, we try to show them a good time and and ride the horses. And for me, I don't. Um, especially the people that come out and help me train. Actually, I don't typically charge for that unless it's for something like the Mongol Derby where we're really isolating and trying to help somebody really accomplish something. But as far as people that just want to ride, uh, we have people come out all the time and because we need people just to do walk rides with the horses or just basic stuff. Mm-hmm. And then what I do for a lot of the people is um, 
most of them we give them writing lessons for free because the way I look at it is if I can make you a better rider and you enjoy coming and riding my horses, that's one more rider to help me work my horses. So it's kind of a you, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back kind of mentality. But, um, but we have to pick up some hay bales at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to work your ass. Absolutely. <laughs> Can you just tell me quickly the difference then between the endurance discipline, obviously apart from the obvious, which is that you're, you're trailing for hours and days, but the main difference then in the discipline between that and the others? Because what I'm finding from speaking to people and doing these podcasts is that a lot of the industry... Um, you can take some things, some elements from one discipline and actually use it with other disciplines and it helps. But is endurance kind of in a whole little bubble of its own? Yes and no. Um, You know, some of my best riders that I have come from other disciplines are usually my jumpers, actually. I love getting jumpers because they... They really know how to ride. One of my big complaints about probably endurance is that the equitation isn't always the best. So anyone that can come from a formal riding background, um, that helps them out tremendously. But that being said, even within the endurance community, it's very different. So on the lower level, here in the U.S., the, the motto is to finish is to win. So they just want people to go out, have a good time, do the distance, finish it, be safe, and, and have a smile on their face at the end of the day. But as you move up from that and race more internationally uh, on an FBI level, that's when it starts becoming more competitive. And on a, so on a local level, some people, it's just basically a glorified trail ride. And I know speaking from here in the States, a lot of people when I say, oh, I'm an endurance rider, they go, oh, okay. In their mind, they think you trail ride for a living. Okay, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, truth be told, we're doing – 160 kilometers in eight hours, which means we're cantering 100% of the race. So it's on an international level, it's it, it, it's a it's a race. It's more of a sport, and uh, obviously not a sprint because a horse can't sprint for 100 miles. But we're moving out. Whereas on a local level, it's more of a um, a trail ride or just it's for fun, which it should be. I mean, I would say 70, 80 percent of the people here in the U.S. They do it for fun, which is fantastic. It should be. That's where I started. That's where I started my kids. And I think it's a great foundation for anyone if they wanted to move up in the level. But it is very unique in that it's very unlike all the other disciplines. And your bum must ache a lot. <laughs> I've got calluses on it. It's I, I haven't felt my bum in years, so I, <laughs> I forget it's there sometimes. Yeah, it's. <laughs> oh, Justin, it's been an absolute pleasure. If we want to like get in contact with you or follow you and see what you're up to, are you on Twitter? Uh, you know, I'm not. Oh, <laughs> come on! I'm on Facebook. You got your, what's your company? Is Equipro? Equipro. Equipro. E Q I P R O. Equipro. Or you can just look me up under Justin Nelzine. Which is, honestly, I never, I, I'm so bad about it, but we stay so busy that I, I really should have somebody else doing it. Most of my stuff goes on my personal Facebook page, which, I, you know, anyone is welcome to friend request me or and follow it, so on and so forth. There's always crazy stuff on there that we're doing. But, you're going to uh, wish you hadn't said that now, because you're going to oh. have loads of people. <laughs> you know, this video of you saving those horses has gone viral. I, I you know, I did. I, did. I didn't realize it until I got home, because... You know, while all this was going on, I just, you're not paying attention. I had the one lady interview me, which kind of annoyed me because we were trying to save horses. And I had two other people 
asked to interview me. I was like, no, I've got to get back in the water. So I had no idea what was going on until literally my very last horse. I was sitting there and a lady walks up to me that I know and she's like, you know you're famous now, right? I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, you're all over the news. I'm like, what? Really? When? She's like, where's your phone? I'm like, it's in my truck. I've been in the water all day. So yeah, I had no idea. Uh, well, we thank you because you've done an amazing job and I'm sure the horses are extremely grateful. And the lady, it would be really nice. Maybe if you go back and see her, um, have a photo taken. We'd love to see, you know, them all okay. We're a bit soppy like that over here, Justin. <laughs> okay. That's why we'd be crap at endurance. Right. It's lovely, lovely to meet you. Thank you so much. You have a, a really good day. Rest up. Right, yeah, thanks. lots of yeah. ice on the legs. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You take care. Okay, thank you. See you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Horse Hour. Join the community on Twitter, Mondays, 8pm UK time, 3pm Eastern, by using the hashtag Horse Hour. Follow Amy at AmyStevenson1 and subscribe to us on Acast, iTunes, Stitcher and Player FM. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.